Hi, my name is Mark and I attend the 9 o'clock service. I'll be reading from Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. So following on from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Thanks. Hi everyone, my name is John Thorpe, I'm the minister here at City Anglican. It's great to have you with us. Uh, let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, as we come to your word now, help each of us to come to it humbly. Help me to speak to it faithfully and clearly, that we might understand and love and celebrate the roles you've put in place for your church. Amen. This is one of those passages that for many of us as Christians can make us feel pretty awkward, either personally or as we talk about it with those people around us. Uh, there's lots of passages in the Bible that are offensive. You know, for example, later in this passage, we're going to be talking about sin, and sin is offensive. But when we talk about sin, we're talking about that everyone sins. Uh, whereas later in this passage, we're going to talk about the particular roles of men and women. Our society often associates our value as people with our role. And so to place any limitations on what we can and can't do based on gender isn't just taking away their right to be all they can be. It's perceived to be devaluing their humanity. You know, the Bible is very clear that God has created men and women equal and in the image of God. And in Christ, we share in the same salvation. And over the last 50 years, we've certainly broken down lots of those arbitrary expectations of what men and women can do, and particularly what women can do. So we recognise that women are just as capable in politics and in the boardroom. Uh, they are just as capable as engineers and chemists and mathematicians and all those roles we typically associate with men. But much, much more than that, we recognise that women bring something unique and something good to those roles. And so our businesses, our politics are better with women involved. They bring a uniquely feminine perspective. So on a society level, we want to celebrate the unique contribution of men and women, but we don't feel any role should be unique to men or women. And that's what makes this passage particularly offensive for so many. And for those who find male leadership in the church and male leadership in the family offensive, the problem isn't simply that it is abused. The problem is the principle itself. So let's wrestle with what the Bible has to say, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable. And to be clear about my position, I'm convinced that God has created us in terms of gender equal, but in terms of role, different. God has created us different and complementary so that we can work together more effectively and more efficiently uh, for the sake of one another, for the sake of society, for the sake of the church, and for the glory of God. And part of that difference is exemplified in roles in the church. Now, I understand that some 
uh, will hold a different view to me. And so can I encourage us to disagree humbly and graciously and with our Bible open? Uh, Because this isn't about what does our society think uh, is good for us or what do I think, but what does the Bible say? And so let's have a look at what the Bible says to us. So last week, our passage finished with Paul encouraging Timothy to hold on to the faith with a good conscience, keep trusting God, and keep teaching God's word without fear or favour. Today we begin with Paul urging Timothy to pray for good order in society. So starting at verse 1, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So Paul is praying that God might move hearts and minds to create a safe space in society where the gospel can be lived out and proclaimed. And it's a fitting prayer because Ephesus wasn't an easy place to be a Christian. The Christians really were a fringe minority And at the same time, they got people's attention. So when Paul was there last time, he almost starts a riot because the message of the gospel was seen as a threat to the local deity and the goddess Artemis. And I think we can empathise with this prayer for peace because we live in a culture that talks a lot about peace and tolerance but feels increasingly angry. So we seem to be demanding the freedom to live the way I want and then Without a morsel of irony, we demand that others live the way I want. And that creates within our society a lot of social pressure, a lot of social persecution. As Christians, we need to recognise that we do live in a pluralist society, and that means there's going to be lots of competing ideas and values. We shouldn't expect the government to be on our side, and we shouldn't expect the government to uphold our Christian values, even though we are completely convinced they're good for our society. But it does mean we should pray for a free society where we can follow Christ without being persecuted, where we can live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Because this is what God wants for his people. So God wants, picking up verse 4, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That is wonderful news, but it's also exceptionally provocative. In a city where most people worship the goddess Artemis, the Christians are saying there is only one true God and there is only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus. And it's just as provocative today because it challenges our sense of freedom and our right to self-determination, our right to choose our own destiny. But the Bible is clear. We are all sinners. We all need to be saved. And Christ came into the world to die on the cross to save us so that we can have life. He pays a ransom for our sins. A ransom is simply an exchange. His life for ours so that we might have life and have our relationship with God restored. That is good news. Uh, and we want the freedom to live out that good news. We want the freedom to share that good news without the fear of being persecuted. And so Paul is saying here, pray for a genuinely peaceful, tolerant society where we can live out that faith. But Paul is also saying here that that same peace is something we want 
for our church. And so as we move into the next section of this passage, he identifies three areas where he feels the Christians within the church are undermining that peace and quiet and godliness and holiness. And so he starts by addressing men in verse 8. He says, pray, lift up holy hands without anger or disputing. If someone asks you to pick five words that you associate with masculinity, I suspect on the positive side you would choose words like strong and protective. But on the negative side you might choose words like angry or argumentative or overbearing. So Paul is challenging those all too common attitudes and behaviours. And he's saying instead of lifting up your hands destructively, lift up your hands constructively and pray. As Christian men, we cannot try to resolve our problems by sheer force of will. We cannot use anger to overcome opposition or use anger to bully people into getting the outcome that we want. And so when we pray, we humble ourselves before God. It acknowledges that we need help. And we need help in how we approach conflict. So we need help with humility and patience and wisdom. But it also shifts our perspective. So it's no longer about what do I want or what do you want, but how are we going to honour God in this situation? And that means we're going to approach it in a way that seeks godliness and seeks peace rather than perpetuating conflict. The second issue that Paul's talking about here in the church has to do with women and how the women are dressing. So look with me at verse 9. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Modesty in this context isn't about dressing in a way that's sexually provocative or revealing. It's about dressing to show off and using clothing and jewellery and beauty to define identity and value and significance. So perhaps they were motivated by vanity and the desire to be affirmed and acknowledged as beautiful. Uh, Perhaps it's motivated by a desire to establish their social standing and their social influence. Uh, If vanity or social standing are their motivation, then really it's about competing and comparing and power. But whatever their motivation, Paul is saying rather than pursuing beauty on the outside, pursue beauty on the inside. If you're going to be known for something, then be known for your good deeds. And so in the words of Proverbs, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Finally, Paul addresses the issue of teaching in the church and specifically the role of women with teaching and having authority. So in verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For many people, this verse is a mic drop moment where you're not quite sure which is more awkward, the screeching of the microphone or that awkward silence straight after. Now, this verse isn't just controversial in terms of what our society thinks and what our society values. It's controversial for many Christians. Uh, So there are Christians who are thoroughly committed uh, to understanding the Bible as God's word, but come to a very different view to what I will talk about today. And broadly speaking, there are two main positions amongst Christians. So the first is what's called an egalitarian view, which means men and women are created equal in the image of God, and we are given the same roles. 
And so for those people who hold an egalitarian view of this passage, they would say that this particular passage is describing a very specific cultural situation and cultural context, and so it doesn't continue to apply to us. Uh, Or they might say that the real meaning of the text is lost in translation. So what the words seem to say is not what they actually mean. Uh, The other view is called complementarian which means men and women are created equal in terms of our humanity and our value before God, but different in terms of our role in two very specific but significant areas of life. So a complementarian view says men are called to lead in the family and men are called to lead in the church. And one expression of that leadership and the most significant expression of that leadership is teaching. So what I'm doing right now, what I do on Sunday morning when we gather together. Now, I'm personally convinced in a complementarian view of Scripture, and I'm convinced that God has put things in that order for our good so that we might complement one another rather than compete, which I appreciate some might feel is easy for me to say because I am a man in leadership. But my identity is not in my role. Uh, My identity should always be, must always be, in Christ. And so if I'm no longer in this role, if I'm no longer leading a church, and that doesn't change who I am, uh, I'm still saved, I'm still loved by God, and I've still got good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. So let's get into the specifics of this particular verse and have a look at the detail. A woman should learn in quietness. Quietness here is not the same as silence. It's the same root word that Paul used earlier to describe wanting to live in peace and quiet. So both men and women should seek peace and quiet in the same way that both men and women should be prayerful. But in the context of the Ephesian church, there seems to be a particular group of women who are being particularly contentious and disruptive. And so this lack of quietness seems to be coming from an unwillingness to submit to the leadership of the church. Submission has almost become a trigger word in our modern vocabulary. And there's no doubt that submission as a concept has been used abusively in lots of different ways, uh, in the workplace, in churches, and most particularly in the family. So in the context of the Ephesian church, Paul is addressing the women because there was a particular issue amongst the women. But actually, more broadly, both men and women are called to submit to leadership. So, for example, the writer to the Hebrews says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And equally, just like in the family, leaders have a reciprocal responsibility. So from 1 Peter, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. So in submission we see different roles, but at the same time a mutual responsibility. And now Paul commands the Ephesian church to honour those unique roles that God has given men and women, and he expresses it in the negative. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. It's negative because Paul's addressing a particular issue in the church, but 
His, it's underlying a positive principle. So in God's created order of things, men are called to lead the family. And as we see in these verses, the events of the fall don't change or justify reversing that order. And that created order is to be mirrored in men leading the church. So leadership in the church and teaching the body of Christ is one way that God affirms the unique roles of men and women. It's not a comment on the capacity of women to lead or the capacity of women to teach. And it's not saying that women can never teach men in any context. And so in Acts 18, we have an example of Priscilla and Aquila teaching Apollos. And it doesn't prevent women from contributing to all the other aspects of our gatherings together. So men and women read the Bible and pray, and we all share how God is working in our lives. I think one area that we could improve is encouraging women to lead our services because I don't think anyone would ever mistake leading a service for leading the church. Finally, Paul puts the unique role of men in the context of the unique role of women. So verse 15, But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Paul isn't saying that women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And what he's saying about being saved needs to be understood in the context of what comes directly before and directly after. So just a few verses earlier, Paul has said we're saved through Jesus who paid the ransom for our sin. And directly after, he affirms that these women are saved if they continue in faith, love and holiness. So what he's talking about here is imploring these particular women to live out their salvation by embracing the unique roles that he has given women rather than pursuing the unique roles that he has given men. Now, of course, not every woman will be married and not every woman will have children. And Paul actually advocates for singleness in 1 Corinthians as something good because it allows us to devote ourselves to serving God. But here in Ephesus, there seems to be a particular movement amongst women where some were rejecting marriage uh, or rejecting having children altogether. And so Paul wants to say to these women, don't turn your back on this wonderful, unique role that God has given women. As a society, I'm not sure we know what we want for men and women. In one breath, we're talking about men and women as unique and different. And almost in the same breath, we talk about men and women as being exactly the same. This passage challenges the behaviour of both men and women, but it also affirms a positive principle, that we are different and that different is good. Most things in life are equally open to men and women, but there are some things that God has put aside as unique. Now, we are not in competition. We are designed to complement one another, to work together for our good, but also for our godliness, so that we might live in picking up the words earlier in our passage, peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Amen.